The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. Andy Purdy has been the chief security officer at Huawei Technologies in the United States since 2012. The Chinese smartphone company is at the center of a swirling political and legal storm over its motives and the security of its technology. Before joining Huawei, Andy was co-director of the International Cyber Center at George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. He's also worked at the U.S. government's Department of Homeland Security, where he was director of the National Cybersecurity Division, and as an attorney at the Department of Justice, as it happens. Andy is here with me, Richard Beals of Reuters Breaking Views, for the Exchange podcast to talk about Huawei and the current controversies. Andy, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Good to be here. Uh, First of all, as I said, uh, Huawei is at the center of a bit of a storm right now. You're a Chinese company, which may be a bad start from a U.S. perspective uh, in a time of trade tension. Uh, Your CFO is being held in Canada, and the Justice Department just unveiled allegations of both financial misconduct and industrial espionage by the company. What's Maybe not specifics, but what's your general reaction to all these events to the extent you can talk about them? Well, there's certainly a geopolitical overlay um, of our ability to do business in the United States and around the world. And um, we are determined uh, to maintain our business and protect our customers in the U.S. and around the world. And we look forward to continuing to work with stakeholders and and private companies to help develop and improve standards and create security assurance frameworks that can protect everyone from what we think is very real global supply chain risk. And this this geopolitical angle, I mean, that's been in the air quite a long time altogether. There's been noise, let's say smoke, but not really fire about Huawei, at least from a a clear evidence point of view, for quite a while. How how do you explain that? Well, I think the U.S. government, since the House Intelligence Committee report in in 2012, expressed their concern, although they didn't have allegations of any wrongdoing then or since, uh, that um, they felt that we were beholden to the China government and we would do the bidding of the China government and do uh, improper surveillance type things. Okay, and that the, the view, as expressed by your founder recently, who doesn't talk very much to the press but came out quite recently, is that's absolutely not the case. There's no such relationship. Is that right? That's right, and that, that he, in fact, said he'd rather close down the company than, than go along with a request of any government to do something improperly uh, and, and hurt our customers. Okay, now in the bigger picture, I mean, those were the immediate events we I just enumerated, but in the bigger picture we have this... Um, the U.S. to some extent, uh, New Zealand, uh, Australia to some extent, basically saying that at least in, the sec- in their security communities, they want to minimize or exclude Huawei technology. Uh, principal concern appears to be what we just discussed, that you have the company has links or possible influence. I mean, the founder came from the military. People read a lot into that. Now, there's a risk that's perceived both in terms of, I guess, what you might call eavesdropping of one sort or the other, or risks to critical infrastructure. How, how do people address that, if not by taking a look and saying, I just, for whatever reason or no reason, I just don't trust that company, I do trust this one. Is there, what's the better way? Well, a, a better way is to recognize the real risks in cyberspace uh, and the global supply chain uh, for all the pro- major products uh, go through China or originate in China, uh, and that it's very important to develop mechanisms uh, so that uh, we can objectively and transparently decide uh, which products and which companies are worthy of trust. The old ways of, of basically saying, I trust A, B, or C, 
aren't valid anymore. We are really becoming dependent on information and communication technologies. And so as the leaders in government and the private sector know, we need to have serious, comprehensive measures to address risk in a way that is effective and transparent. Well, let's come back to that in a little more detail later as well. I mean, we had, the, I guess you see a little bit of a, a contradiction. You see it perhaps in the U.S. as well. You, I, you know, I think I could argue that in, in repelling the acquisition by, the proposed acquisition by Broadcom, the U.S. kind of put Qualcomm up there as a U.S. national champion. But now you see a little bit, you know, the Chinese government or the Chinese ambassador in Canada, at least, bringing to the defense of... Huawei a little, and that kind of suggests a national champion kind of um, feeling about Huawei. Is, is that fair, do you think? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not always the biggest fan of some of the comments that are made by various people around the world. Uh, the fact is that we're trusted in over 170 countries, and uh, we have been active in promoting the kinds of measures and standards that are necessary to address real risk. And and we believe, and I think the leaders in government and the private sector believe, that you need to do that relative to all vendors because of, of real risk. Right. But we're open to having discussions with the U.S. government about a security assurance framework for our products in the United States. Ho Which you're doing with the U.K., is that right? That, that's the kind of thing we're doing in the U.K. And, and hopefully it could be a proof of concept because we really believe you need to address the risk from all vendors. And when you talk about supply chain, obviously there are specifics to every company as well. And we had this uh, moment last year when the U.S. Commerce Department again picked, picked on, let's use that phrase, another Chinese company, ZTE, over sanctions busting as it happened in this case. But for a, for a while, imposed an order saying you cannot deal with U.S. companies, which means you can't buy stuff from U.S. companies. And this technology supply chain for everybody goes all around the world. So there's key intellectual property that comes from the US, there's manufacturing that's often in China, or assembly that's often in China. Um, how, how would Huawei fare if something similar happened? Or how is Huawei's supply chain different from ZTE's, let's say? Well, I'm not familiar with ZTE's, but um, uh, about 32% of all the components that go into Huawei products come from the United States. So we spend so that, would be, that would be pretty tough so we spend, for you we, too. we spend approximately eleven billion a year benefiting Americans, and these are really high end jobs um, as our as our rotating chairman has said, we are pursuing alternative sources of supply in the event that we're blocked from being able to buy those those very important and valuable uh, u s components we don't We hope that that doesn't have to happen okay and how much of this, you mentioned the geopolitical overlay to all this, and I think most people would recognize there's certainly a big element of that. Is there another element which is trying to be, well, it's also geopolitical, but it's more technological as well, which is trying to be the leader in 5G and exclude the other guy because 5G is considered so important? Well, economic competitiveness between the U.S. and China is certainly part of the geopolitical uh, dynamic. How much? I don't know. But when you look at 5G, the benefits that are expected to flow from 5G, and actually it would be 5G and Internet of Things, industrial Internet right. of Things, are a potentially historic transformation in the way of life on, on this planet and is expected to, to lead to incredible job creation that's going to benefit the countries 
that really deploy the best 5G. Right. But the competition in 5G is not between us and Nokia, Ericsson, Samsung, and so forth. That's not what the race for number one in 5G is. The race for number one in 5G is the deployment of efficient and innovative technology that can help spur the job growth, that can help bring the benefits to the lives and organizations of, of our citizens and our organizations. That's what competition in 5G is. So in other words, ironically, Huawei can help the United States be a leader in 5G. Right, and you don't see a kind of some critical element, again, you know, thinking about, well, sadly, having to think about something perhaps worse than just a legal conflict, a real conflict between the US and China. There isn't some reason why certain technology is crucially held or developed in one place or the other. Well, let's put it this way. Um, before the United States thinks seriously about taking the benefits of a particular any kind of technology, regardless of where it's from, the risks have to be addressed. And the United States is, and, and the world are playing catch up in terms of trying to make sure that we have the kind of security measures in place to address risks in cyberspace. Cyberspace is the wild, wild west in some yeah. ways. So we all need to work together to come up with for the multi-vendor environment, which is 5G and Internet of Things, we need to come up with an objective and transparent basis on which we can determine which products and which companies are trustworthy. The old mechanisms for trust are not going to make us safer. Right. So, okay. So let's talk a bit that, about that in a bit more detail. We have, you, you certainly have this uh, project with parts of the UK government sort of trying to verify, but that's obviously a specific use case, specific customer looking at your products and satisfying themselves, you know, with Huawei's help that that they can be used for whatever they're going to use them for. More generally, they, there exist these things called the common criteria, which is supposed to set some standards and allow testing sort of on a like-for-like level playing field basis of different things. What What more needs to be done? And I mean, I guess part of that, maybe you could talk a little bit about you know, if the U.S. wants to spy on China, it it, it does. Well, we, I'm, we we can probably stipulate it does do that through various technology companies, but not necessarily American ones. And maybe if China wants to spy on the U.S., they can do it through various technology companies, not necessarily Chinese ones. So if you want to immunize yourself from that, what's the process, you, whether you're a company or a government, what's the right series of steps? What don't, do we have and what don't we have yet? And, and the spying is not just through technology companies, that virtually uh, malicious actors that are motivated and well-resourced can, can hack into supply chains and networks and systems right. uh, around the world. Uh, to your question, the idea of having standards and, and common criteria is an example of one that I, I think can be part of a, a security assurance framework. The idea that common criteria has these various labs that are recognized and testers that come in and test the products, I think that's a very valuable concept. I hope we can work toward, as we try to move toward this objective basis uh, for deciding what's trustworthy, that maybe they, nonprofits could help set up regional transparency centers where recognized testers could come in and evaluate products. There could be requirements for vendors, even self-attestation in terms of the own testing they've done, make available the test results. There are a number of things that can be done. But also with, from the buyer's side, we have to do a better job of leveraging the purchasing power of buyers. So, for example, in our critical infrastructure sectors, you know, like, like finance, um, you know, the, the sector needs to come up with recommended procurement requirements. What is it they're going to ask of or require from their ICT vendors? Right. We have to get specific on what those requirements are. We have to demand 
good assurance and transparent assurance in what we buy and what gets used. That's all part of the mix. And when when it comes to, well, let's take two different things because I think they are quite different. A, let's say a kind of standard kind of router technology, let's say. Um, is it possible to, to specify those standards, test a, a particular test a, vend, a particular vendor's kind of device, and then say, as long as we have that version of this software and that version of this device, we can be as confident as we can be that that's sound. There isn't there isn't there are malicious ways into that device that we didn't know about. That kind of thing is it, and does that apply to everybody, or is it possible for a vendor, whether a U.S. one or a Chinese one, to hide stuff? On one level. That's important. The fact is, every organization has to understand their business objectives and their risk environment. Um, higher risk situations, no, that's not good enough. Right. You have to make sure that there's testing done to pretty high standards, and then the products have to go from the tester directly to the customer. So you have to be sure that what was tested is what gets deployed at the customer. Right. Um, you also need to up the game of the networks and systems that the products are used in because it's you know, our products, we're not running the networks where they yeah. are. So the network operators have to monitor for an anomalous conduct, malicious activity, inbound and outbound. And so it's all part of, of a security assurance framework that, that's necessary. And, and I think we're moving in that direction, but I think we have to ramp it up a little bit. Right. And then I'm thinking more consumer now. I'm thinking of a cell phone and a corporate environment, perhaps bring your own device that... Obviously, Android is a much tougher nut to crack for companies or governments wanting people to be able to use their own devices than, than the Apple version is because that's sort of locked down and almost always the same version. Android is tougher. Huawei is a version of Android. How do people? How can people get comfortable with that well, whole I th- issue? I, I think generally the uh, the, the community believes the Android operating system is, is, is appropriately secure. There were concerns were raised by the U.S. government about our phones with no basis that, that we're aware of, no indication, no reason to think that our phones are any less secure than anybody else's. If our phones have a particular security concern, then all the other ones do too. And so we need to up the game of what the standards are and, and the testing requirements to make us safer. That's fundamentally what it's about. And, and so we can't just throw allegations around. We need to come up with specifics. What's necessary to make us safer? What's necessary so we have a basis for trust? And part, so part of that is procurement and managing networks. Part of it is just supply chain for, for these big companies. I mean, we, we've heard so much over the years about how Apple makes almost everything in, or assembles almost everything in China or at least did for a while. Um, is, I, I, I'm not throwing that name out in this context for any particular reason, but is, that, is Apple a good example of a company that has its supply chain sufficiently locked down or is everybody in the same boat here that when you're, you know, it's all very well saying Apple device is great, it's a U.S. company, we can trust it, but actually the supply chain, or any other U.S. company, not to pick on Apple, but the supply chain just is not adequately mapped out and secured for everybody, whether it's a, even a Huawei manufacturing in China or, a, or somewhere else, or a Samsung or a Apple. How, 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 is that, how are we on that at this point in the... That learning process. The, the short answer is, I don't know. We have to remember that these phones are being operated on networks around the world. And it'd be interesting to ask experts, well, 
how secure are the phones around the world in terms of the ability to make sure and have confidence that you're not being monitored by some intelligence service somewhere? That'd be an interesting question to ask people. Right. What? You have a guess at what the answer might be, or is it, it just matters from place to place? Well, I, I think there's a there's quite a drive now, for example, to uh, to require uh, by governments, and I think Australia has introduced a law that would require that uh, all the carriers have to provide back doors so the intelligence communities can monitor the phones everywhere. Well, that's one of the problems. If 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 there is a back door, then the, right. then the then the bad guys. You know, may be able to take advantage of that backdoor. So it's a very complex issue, and it's, there's ethical hacking questions and uh, exploiting known vulnerabilities, and, right. and governments buy known vulnerabilities so they can hack into things. So it's, you know, the the world out there is relatively complicated. I'm just saying that if there are particular security concerns, we need to consider improving the standards and in increasing the testing requirements. Okay, I, I just wanted to turn to a few of what maybe less troublesome spots right now for Huawei's business. India was one of those, obviously a huge market. Many, many, many people, almost as many as China, maybe more now, I, I, I lose track. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, and it seems, you know, Huawei's generally comp competitive on price, which is good in a market where people aren't so wealthy as, as they are perhaps in the US. Um, you seem to have been able to talk, work with the government in India to get them comfortable with your technology in a way that you haven't with some other governments or the way some other governments have decided they don't want to be. So can you talk a little bit about that? Well, the Indian government in the last couple of years has been very serious about trying to come up with uh, a security assurance framework that would help reduce the risk to Indian organizations and, and Indian citizens. And so we've been part of a, of a broad collaboration between government and industry uh, and development of standards uh, that is making very good progress in terms of the goals of the government and, and the private sector collaboration, which, you know, the, 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 the stronger the standards are and, and objective and transparent, the more our ability to compete. And, and so it's working out very well in India. And hopefully the rest of the world can can learn from that. And now the EU is, you know, working on a potential product certification scheme for telecommunication products. Hopefully, unlike as we did in GDPR, the privacy right. stuff, hopefully we'll work closely with Europe so that if they're going to come up with some kind of product testing, we can leverage that and use that around the world. Right. And is there, I mean, again, we we mentioned one set of standards, but is there, is there a, are there entities that do that, 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 that enough governments... Um, Recognize well the five G standards, uh, the three GPP standards. It's seven standards organization developing the standards for quality and security, um, which is which is really excellent. I'm not sure that anybody is quite moving in the direction of, of regional transparency centers for for the kinds of testing that I think I think we ought to consider for higher risk situations. And you want to make sure that that the that the security requirements are not thinly veiled trade barriers. You want companies to be able to do business right. all around the world, but you want real risk to be addressed. Okay, and one just on the U.S. as well. I mean, I know Huawei has other business than just telecom equipment, equipment for solar power, for example, or even in general. I mean, how bad, how much is your business? Is any of that, those other business lines affected at all by all this rhetoric in the news and all that? Well, there's certainly been some pressure uh, in the U.S. in the solar business where a so-called trade group was formed uh, apparently by one of our competitors 
uh, and funded to try to call into question uh, the, the sale of our inverters, which one of our customers had three different companies test our inverter to make sure there were no issues there, and, and there were no issues there. Um, and the organization refused to disclose the source of their funding. Um, and so, again, I would come back to, look, if there is an issue about the security of, of our inverters, then there's an issue about the security of all inverters, and we need to raise the standards, and we need to raise the testing requirements, because making sure we are safe is what it's got to be all about. Okay, that's that's interesting, and I hope helpful. Uh, lastly, I just wanted to ask about your shift. So you spent a lot of time in U.S. academia, worked for the worked with the Department of Homeland Security, you were quite embedded in, in the U.S. government side of this, then you went to work for Huawei to do this, uh, what is it, seven years ago. What, I'm sure some of your colleagues thought you went to the dark side in doing that. What, what surprised you about it? What, what's been good and, and bad, I guess, about that whole transition for you, or what's, opened, what, what's been an eye-opener? Well, when I first came to Huawei in, in 2012, I probably lost a couple of kind of friends uh, for making the move, um, and I think some thought it was uh, counterintuitive uh, that I would believe that joining Huawei, I would have an opportunity to promote the issues that I care <laughs> right. about in the U.S. and globally. But the fact is, I have been able to 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 uh, stick with my beliefs and to promote the kind of collaboration uh, to 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 drive better understanding of risk and and more effective and transparent means to address risk. So it's. It's, it, it's been exciting. I've never had a limitation on what I can say anywhere in the world, and uh, it, it, it's been tremendous. And, and frankly, we're now seeing the U.S. government in the last six to eight months is, in my view, finally beginning to seriously take into account cybersecurity risk, supply chain, and others. And, and, and that's encouraging, because the more we can raise the bar, the more we can identify particular standards of what's necessary so you know who to trust, that's going to help us, because then we have standards that we can meet. All right, Andy, thank you very much. You've picked a, perhaps a tough spot from which to advocate those things, but that's really interesting. Andy Purdy, Chief Security Officer at Huawei in the United States, thank you very much for joining us for The Exchange. You're welcome, a pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Exchange. This podcast was produced by Andrew D'Antonio and Freddie Joyner. Be sure to check out breakingviews.com and subscribe to our various audio products, including The Views Room on iTunes or anywhere else you go to get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.